Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I didn't understand equity. I didn't understand depreciation. I remember coming home that day and just being like, so excited saying, oh my God, we've got like, you know, nearly a million dollars worth of equity. We can use that. Like I just hadn't realized at that point what I had already grown organically and that that was a stepping stone and absolute, yeah, game changer. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, I'm speaking with entrepreneur and mother Jo Vadillo on how she stopped working for someone else and took control of her own businesses, creating income off her portfolio along the way. Also, discover how Property Women's Seminar threw a fresh light on her path and changed the way she viewed property investing forever. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Vidillo, Director of Property Women and Advocate Property Services, uses her extensive property investing experience to help her clients enter the property market. Starting with breakfast with her three kids, her day-to-day is never the same. So, it's a busy day and it starts quite early and I've got other people to worry about as well but um, in, in, all, in all seriousness, so a business day for me, no two days are the same which is exciting and good and because I work for myself and I work in a space that I absolutely love and it's my passion, I never have that sense or burden of, oh, I've got to go to work or I've got to get on a bus or anything like that because my day, I, I predict my week, you know, I, I, I structured it around my life as well. But with that said, um, I am speaking to agents daily when negotiating deals for clients, um, arranging events. We do quite a few workshops and look at doing events. I do a lot of content writing as well. Um, I contribute to quite a number of different um, online sources for, you know, property investment advice. Um, and client consultations, I'm liaising with clients, giving them updates going out to sites, looking at properties. Um, and I do a lot of interstate travel as well, partially to do some of the speaking gigs that we do, but also to look at new areas. And I will never, ever refer an area or make a recommendation for something that I haven't physically inspected myself or, you know, really get the nuts and bolts of how a location would work. Wow. I'm just going to say that you have a jam-packed day 
and I wonder how do you fit all that in over the year, I guess. <laughs> well, they're not, that's not every day, but I'll be honest, everything gets pushed aside if we're buying a property for somebody. Everything gets pushed aside because if a deal's on the table, that becomes our number one priority. So, um, you know, I guess there's got to be a little bit of um, flexibility when you're working in a property market and, as you know, a deal, you know, that sort of takes the yeah, absolute priority. But, um yeah, it's, it's busy, but it's good and it's always around the space that I really um, am passionate about. The bread and butter of our businesses is to work with clients who are sourcing infill land in and around capital cities as well as doing new builds. I've got two companies that I run. So whilst I've got a pretty solid investment portfolio myself, um, I've got the company Advocate Property Services and I also run an online education business called Property Women which is skewed towards educating female investors and how they can do this for themselves as you as well so they'll either do it for themselves or they'll come to me and get a done for you service as well over two companies advocate property services takes priority the most i mean i'm the director of the business but my husband is one of the primary um well i mean he, he basically manages southeast queensland we've got a buyer's agent on the ground in brisbane we're physically based in sydney we're expanding to melbourne and we've got a team of admin admin staff as well and we have some contractors who are long-term investors themselves and they come in every now and then to support us when the workload gets to a certain point where we just need a few more hands on deck so it's working with people who probably is equally crazy about property as what we are which is great it's 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 great. It's flexible, and it, um, you know, the, I think the beauty of working in the property market is it gets kind of quiet around Christmas and early January, which is the best time of year to be sitting on a beach. Establishing her roots in New South Wales, Vadilla has also based her portfolio within that area. I grew up in the inner west of Sydney, so I now I know I, I, I'm still in Sydney, but I actually morphed to the other side of the Harbour Bridge. So for anyone who's not familiar with Sydney. There's the Great Divide of the Harbour Bridge. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm now north side, but I wasn't in a Westie as a kid. And um, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I have properties in both sides now. So I'm still, I've got a foot in both, <laughs> both sides of the city. Going to school at MLC in Burwood, she worked in multiple industries before settling into property. I have to confess that I was actually quite naughty at school. Um, I was always somebody who was never going to be the cliche student or academic. Um, whilst every, I mean, literally every single school report I ever had since kindergarten implied that I probably should speak less and focus more. Um, but I was always I had that entrepreneurial streak going on, and that kind of wasn't nurtured when I was at school. Whereas nowadays, I'm seeing it more and more emerging in primary schools and even some of the degrees that they offer now. So I didn't go to university. I did study, um, but I went into hospitality because I love people and I'm, so, I'm a very so, like social creature. So I enjoyed that. I did travel quite extensively over a number of years. Um, when I came back to Sydney, I started working in advertising, which suited me perfectly. I love marketing. So those skills are completely transferable, of course, over to um, almost any industry, really, the marketing side of things. But then I actually did go to university. I reached a point in my late 20s where I thought, you know, I, I just it's something I just wanted to do. So I actually went on to do a master's degree in communication at UTS. And again, a communications degree lends itself to a number of different fields and serves me on a daily basis because, you know, I really am, I guess, an extrovert. and. Um, but, you know, I'm very focused on people and I'm also a big communicator. Like I hate 
not getting a full story from somebody and I ask a lot of questions when I'm dealing with agents on behalf of my clients or even if I'm just dealing with the solicitor or the broker or anything like that. So I'm I'm somebody who wants to be across everything so I understand what the story is for our client. So my, that was my university education. So I guess I was a little bit closer, yeah, up to my late 20s and around the same time was when I bought my first property. With the degree under her belt, Vidilo continues to educate herself to stay on the cutting edge of her career. It's a great foundation to have but it's certainly most of my friends I know who studied something at university went on to completely different careers but I think it's a, it's a great education foundation and I, I'm, I'm a forever student and I'm always going to be, you know, I, I attend multiple courses, I'm always learning, you know, I'm very much now trying to stay um, ahead of the, you just see, you know, greater emergence of digital and how things are changing and how we learn and how we just take on numbers and um, sourcing property and how so much can be done from a desktop as well. So that is something that I'm constantly learning because I am Gen X. You know, it's not like it's all, all natural to me. I do push myself to make sure that I'm staying current as well. Did you actually go out back into the workforce to work in another company, gain more experience in your communications degree or did you run out and, and start your own business as an entrepreneur? You know, I never at that point in my life considered working for some for working for myself. It just wasn't really on the – I mean, this is pre-Facebook, you know. Like, so, you know, I didn't – I just never – I wasn't around that space. I come from, you know, like my, my family are – you know, have that job, pay off the mortgage, you know, very much um, PAYG, you know, working in professions in banking. And it just was never something that I would ever think that I could work for myself and do it successfully. So I did go on to work in a number of different media establishments. I worked for Fairfax for a number of years. I actually loved working for Fairfax around the time when, you know, Sydney Morning Herald was just first getting online and stuff. So that was a really fantastic um, time to be working for that business. And honestly, the change for me came about when I had my first child and I went back to work full time because I had to and because that was also, you know, my job wasn't going to lend itself to being part time and that my heart broke and it was hard. And then within two years, I had a second child and I that that was it for me. I just made that decision that I can't work for anyone else full time. I need to do something for myself. So with the birth of my second son was um, an entrepreneur was born and I um, I've never worked for anyone else um, ever since and he's eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so that really, you know, he really was that catalyst for me. Um, I just knew I had to do something that was flexible and something that was a passion, not just a job, you know, and that I was working in a in a job before. I mean, I enjoyed it but, um, you know, it didn't make me jump out of bed and sing in the morning. Like, well, I don't always sing in the morning but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't, you know. So I think that was really yeah, a big turning point for me. As Vidilla's business grew, her family grew as well. In the time, the rise and rise, I guess, of my business, um, yeah, I've had a <laughs> had another baby and, you know, I mean, I worked, I mean, I was putting off for my family, family member, my mum, I was um, putting off on a property in between contractions. So, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't have a tendency of stopping, as you can tell, Um you know, and that's that's the only life he's known is someone, you know, where, look, we, we're busy and it's, it's a balancing act and I try to make sure I'm not constantly, my face is not in a phone all the time, but the children understand 
to a certain extent that we're working hard now, but we play hard and we travel quite a bit with our kids now because our lifestyle has lent itself to and the way our property portfolio is working for us, we now have really extensive family holidays. So the children know they kind of get 100% of us for much more, many more weeks in a year than I guess the average PAYG parents would be able to afford. Although the influence to invest into property partially stemmed from her parents, her interest came from a renovation show on TV. My parents built a couple of houses when I was a kid, but I've got to confess, my memory is just being super bored and looking at tiles and carpet and and looking at, look, you know, I, I liked walking through the when it was the framework was up and the brickwork, you know, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but we're talking about, you know, I didn't have an iPhone, I could just sit in the car and wait for them, you know, I really, had to, <laughs> that was the days we had to entertain yourself. So my, mem- my memory was always being around property in some some extent. They always had investment properties and and doing doing the builds and going out to you know these um you know green pastures which are now established suburbs and they did a knockdown rebuild in Strathfield and you know I was, I was a part of all that. So it's always sort of been around me in that in that respect. But um, I started I, look I don't know what the turning point was, but I don't know if you remember the TV show Property Ladder, the UK TV show from Sarah Beanie. And this is pre-GFC and she used to do come in and people were saying, oh, I've bought this house and I'm going to spend £15,000 on it and I'm going to renovate it and she'd say, oh, don't spend that much. You're never going to make your money back. And I just I just fell in love with property from watching this show and seeing the amount of money that you could that you could turn around in a short period of time. At the same time, seeing people ignore her advice was driving me nuts. These combined perspectives motivated Vadillo to jump into a property career. I think it was a combination of seeing my parents' successes as well as then realising how tangible it is to renovate, to add value and then to move on, to add value without using emotion as well. So people were like putting in these fantastic, you know, speaker systems in the houses and she's saying this is a flip. I mean, you're going to be selling this to someone of a low socioeconomic standard. They're not going to care that you just spent £10,000 on doing this to the house. So I learned a lot. I must admit I learned a lot from those sorts of TV shows and again it was pre-GFC so the dollars were great or the pounds were great and what the earnings there in sterling but um, that was a real foundation for me and a real stepping stone into starting to do that for myself. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Vidilla's property journey on how she became inspired and learned through property women. I actually started to attend events and the very first event I went to was the Property Women event which is the company that I now own. How she got into the Sydney market? Well, it was um, another Sydney boom um, and I literally bought my property at the, I think they said August 2002 might have been the peak um, of that particular cycle of you know growth in Sydney and it was just all over the media. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shump and you're listening to Property Investory. podcast listeners, if you're finding this podcast super informative, then guess what? I'm giving you an exclusive free case study from property investors like this one just for listening. These case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific strategies and numbers of their portfolio. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. The beginning of Vadilla's property business journey catapulted when she attended a seminar that altered the way she looked at property investing. 
I'd bought uh, one or two, maybe two properties when I actually started to attend events. And the very first event I went to was a property women event, which is the company that I now own. And I remember I, I just happened to Google looking for some sort of group of females that I could sort of, because my friends just didn't share the same love or passion. They weren't interested. And I just wanted to be around like-minded people who were sort of walking a similar path to myself. And I just happened to be within 48 hours of this full day event and it was tra- <laughs> it sounds transformational, but it was actually was, I remember them announcing that next speaker is going to be an accountant and I thought, oh, this is going to be really seriously boring. And it was, I didn't understand equity. I didn't understand depreciation. I, w- I remember coming home that day and just being like so excited saying, oh my God, we've got like, you know, nearly a million dollars worth of equity. We can use that. Like I just hadn't realised at that point what I had already grown organically and that that was a stepping stone and absolute um yeah game changer for for my in my husband's um future in investing taking a step back the first property she purchased was during a sydney boom when she was eager for an extra source of income well it was um another sydney boom um and i literally bought my property at the i think they said august 2002 might have been the peak um of that particular cycle of you know growth in sydney and it was just all over the media and literally if you don't buy something, you're never going to get anything. And it was just, that was like I think for me, I was, I was getting drawn into that hype and I thought I've got to get something, I've got to get something. So I did, I, I saved, like, I mean, that's what you do, you know, your first property, you save like crazy. I had a full-time job. I had just, uh, I was actually doing my university master's at that point. So I had some pretty big, you know, uni costs to deal with as well. Even though I was working full-time, um, I knew I needed extra income. So I think this is probably another part of the small, small, um, small business um, start off for me. I actually put an ad in the yellow pages and started walking dogs on the side. So before work, I would go and grab a dog and take it for a walk. And you know, now these things are quite they're around, but in those days, it really was like the yellow pages and I was a dog walker in and around my working full time. So that was the money I lived off, and I literally saved all of my income, less you know the cost of rent and my unique expenses. So you know, I. My friends had better looking clothes, better clothes than me and a better social life than me, but I really had a big vision for what I wanted to do and I really wanted to do it before I turned 30. That to me was, you know, a big, it was a benchmark age for me. You know, I really wanted to have, you know, I wanted my degree and I wanted to have my property. So I bought my first property in the inner west at that point and it was a unit um, and I was, I think I was on 45000 at the time, you know, plus commissions because of, you know, but it was it was hard, and I did I did it on my on my own, and my husband and I were together, but we weren't married. And one of my biggest standouts for that period of time was that I would walk in, and I was the one pre-approved, and they would always look at him and ask for his name when we used to go into open homes, and it used to drive me drive me nuts. So, um, so please make that note if you're a real estate agent to always look at the woman as well, not just the guy, but. Um, you know, I think I looked at a lot of properties and I looked at the renovators and I was fearful of renovating at that point. I was like, oh, it looks too hard. And um, so I did get a property that had been refurbed and I still own it to this day. And it's maybe, oh, oh look, it would have gone, you know, I don't know how much, but definitely more than one and a half times its some um, value at the time, what I paid at the time. After purchasing this property, a block of six units in Helston Park in the inner west for $315,000. She undertook a joint venture partnership and used the funds to purchase their family home. So we had another unit in Parramatta. So that was a joint venture partnership. So we purchased that for 165000 
and um, my husband at the time went into another joint venture scenario and then we used the money for one of those joint ventures and I pulled out some of the equity that I had in the unit and that's when we bought our principal place of residence, which is in the lower northern beaches. And it's funny, at the time it was 610000 which still sounds, it sounds to my ears, you know, 10 years later, it sounds really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to borrow 10 grand off my mum because I was only able to borrow up to 600. So, but that's, I mean, for nothing more than just sleeping for the last 10 and a bit years, we've made well over. 1.2 or something on top of that, you know, so the value of that's gone up and up and up. So that's great. Um, and we're going to use that land to do a knockdown rebuild. So I'm always on the go with that sort of personal projects behind the scenes as well. On considering her worst investing moment, Videla mourns the one that got away, the property she didn't buy. It was around um, second child had arrived. We were pre-approved ready to buy again and I had an opportunity to buy. <laughs> it actually still hurts my feelings when I tell this story. <laughs> um, a, uh, it was a terrace and it was a, look, it needed a, it needed work but it was not falling apart in Surrey Hills. So, you know, <laughs> so this this, ter- this um, terrace in Sur- Surrey Hills, they said, we've got an offer of 570, so I offered 575. I just wanted to, you know, let's just be strong going, let's just get this done. And he said, the vendors will take whoever can come in and sign the contract first. And I wanted to get a pest and building report done just because there was a, I could see there were some issues, like there's a bit of damp here and there, look, something of its vintage, like really it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't falling apart. I've, I've walked in, I've bought worse since. But um, at the time I got that sort of, oh, maybe this and maybe that and what about this and what about that and didn't buy it. And I, I literally can't even look up the address on RP data. I just, I just... <laughs> like I would have made a lot of money in the ensuing years from not buying. That was 2009. So I guess that was sort of, you know, early or GFC phase where the market had kind of plateaued and gone backwards in, you know, a number of different areas. And I was in a, I was in a good position to buy a property that would have probably made me, I don't know, it was 100, $150,000 a year since then, every year. So we shouldn't talk about that one. But look, you know what? <laughs> now I guess I know what I know now and my, I guess, uh, appetite for fear is greater. <laughs> like I'm not as sceptical. I'm not as nervous. I kind of figure that worst-case scenarios I could get. Um, I, I've done so many renovations now. I feel like I'd be able to make a judgment call over and above a pest and billing report. Not the same advice I'd give a client, but that is my own personal journey and I realise now that um, – yeah, I, I would, I would be, I'd be, I'd be a different person if I was buying that property today. For starters, I would have jumped in the car and driven to Surrey Hills and signed that contract very quickly. But <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> However, she still puts her money to good use, buying several pieces of land in southeast Queensland. This would become an aha moment for her as she coordinated with council to make the best of the situation. Part of the the money that I had assigned for Surrey Hills, we wound up buying two properties in Logan, um, you know, southeast Queensland, um, not far from the book, 20 minutes from, you know, Brisbane CBD, and purposely bought land, the house with a large parcel of land, like one's 1,500 square metres and the other's 1,000. And I knew that house would just sit there and it'll just chug along, chug along, fine, you know, yields absolutely fantastic, doesn't cost us a cent, never really has cost us any money. 
But the aha moment with that is that one of the houses faces a main, it's the 1500. Well, it's on a very nice street, really nice leafy street in a good, in a relatively good area of Logan. The street behind the council, it's it's just grassy. People use it, like the people who you know live in those houses use it, but it's not a thoroughfare street. But it could definitely lend itself to being a road. And my aha moment would have been when I started to speak to a couple of the other owners, and then spoke to council. And council said, if we are to put, if we are to tar that, if we are to build a road there as an amalgamation of owners. The council will allow us greater leniency when we go to subdivide that land. So whereas anyone else holding a parcel of land that's 1,500 square metres will be capped at doing, um, say, three lots, we'll be allowed to have four lots, which is another $200,000 to $250,000 per lot. So that and the road at this point, we've got 20 people who are wanting to, so not 20, I wish it was 20, 10 at this point that we've that we've communicated to and that at this point our estimated costs and it, it's going to diminish as we reach out to more owners will be 50000 each. So my aha moment is that by by going to council, by seeing that not only will they support us doing this but they'll actually give us something in return, um, you know, we're looking at another couple of hundred thousand dollars that we'll be able to get out of that, subdiv- you know, when we go through that subdivi- subdivision process. So that's not a bad aha moment. You kind of go, oh, wow, it was worth talking to council about that. So that's a 2018 project for us wow. to build a road. Yeah. And I mean, how much time do you think you would have spent just to talk to council to do that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe look, I'll be honest, probably about 10 to 20 hours Still. all up. That's talking to other owners, talking to some town planners, getting some road quotes as well. Um, and there's still a bit of work to be done because I've got to just reach out to other owners and I've got access to obviously their addresses, but a lot of a lot of those addresses are investment properties. So I've got to make sure that we get, you know, obviously everybody on board and I would hate to find out that I missed out, <laughs> if that was, you know, if I was one of those owners. So I want to make sure everyone's communicated to and that's a project that we do, yeah, next year. So, why would council agree to do this? It's a win-win situation. I mean, I guess it's a, a, a council expense to them, and some people in those lots are doing—they're um, doing battle axe subdivisions, and those battle axe subdivisions cost a lot of money because you're bringing all the services through from the main street. So, for them, if we built that road, and then they've got all the benefit, all those owners are going to subdivide these fifteen hundred lots. So they get all the subdivision costs for that. They get more tenants. They get more council rates. Um, I kind of see it's been a bit of a win-win and it's certainly not going to put a squeeze on the area because 1,500 square metres is a large parcel yeah, of land. that's true. That's true. I mean, when we look at it and compare it to Sydney, to get 1,500 parcel of land in Sydney is in excess probably $1.52 million, whereas there, oh, well, easy, yeah. <laughs> easy yeah. to pick it up. Yeah, and it's a flat block too, which is utopia. <laughs> so it's great. So, inspired by this story and Vidila's amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory where we'll talk about her strategy. I'm certainly always open to, to what, where, where, do, where do we continue to, to build our portfolio in the meantime, minimize our land tax obligations as well by going into state. Her success habits for property investing? One of the habits, I'm quite tenacious. And I'm a, I'm a real perseverer. So if someone says you can't do that, I will never take no for an answer. <laughs> and that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory Podcast. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, 
Then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.